Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Well, Happy New Year. I'm Matt Silver, one of the pastors here at Experience, and thank you so much for being with us. I'm glad you're here, whether you are joining us at 10 a.m. via Facebook, YouTube, our website, or you're streaming later on. Thank you for investing your time with us. If you missed week one, I would encourage you to listen in. It was a challenge for each of us to discover a word for the year, a word that could bring clarity and direction. In this word, we shouldn't just settle for a good word, but we should really pursue a God word. What's the difference? A God word is the kind of word that is good for all of us. That word not only affects us personally, but affects all those around us. It helps us in many areas of our lives, whether it's physical or financial, spiritual, mental, relational, or even emotional. For me, I landed on the word rooted, and while there are many Bible verses that use this word, one stood out to me in particular, and it was Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. And it reads, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worry in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I love this verse for three reasons. One, it reminds me that God is perfect and he's the one I should trust and lean in on. We all have flaws. Our leaders have flaws. Our family and friends have flaws. And I know I have them. I miss the mark. That's the first thing. The second thing is is when things get bad, I don't need to fear. I don't need to start making reactionary decisions based on self-preservations. And the third thing is, and that's my favorite line, in a year of drought, as we head into another challenging year, Being rooted will keep me grounded and will allow me to bear fruit. So what does bearing fruit actually mean practically? It doesn't mean I'm going to become a human orchard. The Apostle Paul, he defines fruit this way in a letter he wrote to the Galatians. In Galatians 5, 22 to 23, he says, The Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, you can tell my life is rooted in God when God produces these kind of things and attributes in me. I'm well aware of my natural reactions when days like January 5th occur. It does not bring out the best in me. But on the days that I allow God to work in me and through me, I find myself more loving, more joyful. I have this peace that doesn't always make sense. I have more patience as I wait for a preferred outcome. Kindness is in the face of insults. Goodness and faithfulness when attacked or betrayed. Gentleness when the world is harsh and self-control, even when things feel out of control. While allowing myself to be rooted in God will allow me to be a better pastor, a better friend, a better husband, and a better father. I believe God led me to that word, but I also believe God will lead you to your word. So I hope you'll spend some time listening to that message and find out what word God is leading you to in 2021. Over the next few weeks, our goal is to help you carefully define and then joyfully pursue spiritual life with God. What does the term spiritual life mean? Well, if we were to sit down over a cup of coffee and I ask you how you were doing spiritually, how would you answer? I asked this question to my friend Scott and maybe you'd answer like him. He said, man, 
You ask really deep questions when we're just sitting down having a conversation. Can we talk about normal stuff? Maybe that's what you would do. So let me rephrase this. Let's say we've been sitting down four or five times and I asked the question, how are you doing spiritually? Chances are you would begin talking about activities that you do that you consider spiritual. Perhaps you would talk about the frequency at which you watch our online messages or how often you read the Bible or how often you pray or when you help other people. Depending on your response, you may say good. You may say struggling or you may say could be better. I remember sitting in a youth ministry class at Eastern University and our professor was Duffy Robbins and he shared with us a list of activities. And there were things like reading and memorizing the Bible, praying three times a day, fasting, which is giving up food or something else for religious reasons, debating about people over religious issues like doctrine, going to church always, and about five other things. And as we heard this list, we were thinking, is this the list he's given us that we should be doing in order to pursue ministry? And we began to slump down. We began to feel like, ugh, I don't know if we should be in this room or in this field. But our professor went on to say, you know, these characteristics that are listed here, they're great characteristics, but do you know who they also define and describe? It's the Pharisees. If you're not familiar with the term Pharisees, they were the religious leaders, which ultimately led and were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus opposed their ministry because they continually missed the mark in applying what they were learning. It was quite a moment for us to realize that we could do so many of the right things and yet end up entirely missing the mark. There's this old sermon illustration floating around about an Olympian shooter named Matt Emmons. And Matt, he had already won a previous gold medal and had a second one in sight, literally. This, he was one shot away for claiming victory in the 2004 Olympic 50-meter three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win. It was a sure thing. Well, his final shot, it only had to hit the target and he would be the winner. He got his breathing under control, he fired a shot, nailed the target, but in what was described as an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, Emmons, he fired at the wrong target. He was standing in lane two, and he fired at the target in lane three. He ended up scoring a zero, and instead of a medal, he ended up in eighth place. Stories like that are heartbreaking, but unfortunately they are not that uncommon, especially among Christian followers when you put it in this context. Perhaps you know someone that although they have many spiritual disciplines like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, you wouldn't describe them as joyful. You wouldn't describe them as the fruits of the Spirit discussed by Paul. We all know after looking at our own hearts, we don't always display those fruits consistently. And maybe that miserable person that's doing all the right things but not feeling life, maybe that person's you. Perhaps one of your goals this year was to really dive in and check in some of these spiritual disciplines. Maybe you committed to read through the New Testament this year. Maybe you're going to read the entire Bible to never miss a message in the weekends, to pray every morning, every evening, to listen to worship music in your free time, to serve once a month at Good Works, to give 10% away. Maybe you just filled out this whole list. And whatever you've placed on that list, maybe that would help you draw closer to God. But what's awful is with the wrong attitude, it could cause you to resent Him. In session one of the fully devoted book that we're reading together, Check out this quote from Dallas Willard. How many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Yet, such Christians are everywhere, and what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality within the freedom of God's loving rule. 
And then he goes on to say, spiritually, wrongfully understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. This is not the way it should be. You know, it's imperative that we understand what it means to pursue a spiritual life. I appreciate how our book, Fully Devoted, explains this. It says, to pursue spiritual life means simply this, to know Jesus more intimately and to live as if he were in your place. It is to order your life in such a way that you stay connected to Christ, thinking as he thought, speaking as he spoke, and walking as he walked. You know, it's natural for us to see our spiritual lives as a list of things we need to do. These positive practices, these commands to keep, these things to avoid. But you know how Jesus responded when someone asked him what's most important and what they should focus on? He was asked this question, what's the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And he said, the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So how should we answer the question if someone were to ask us, how are you doing spiritually? Perhaps rather than thinking through a list of behaviors, we should focus on the simple question. Am I becoming more loving towards God and people? This gets us out of the realm of practices and gets us thinking about life, everyday life. You know, if I were to ask you, which of these two options is spiritual? Going to church or putting in a hard day's work? Saying a prayer to God or having a conversation with a friend? Serving in a food pantry or cleaning up the shared restroom at work? Leading a small group or helping at the PTA? Reading the Bible or going on a hike? Perhaps you caught on, this is not either or. It's not that this side was all spiritual and this side was not. The point is, both are spiritual. We can become more loving by going to church and by going to work. God wants us to love him and to love others wherever we find ourselves. The how and why we do things is critical because it's all spiritual. Our book says it this way. Your spiritual life is simply your whole life every minute and detail of it from God's perspective. In other words, God isn't interested in your spiritual life. God is simply interested in your life. And every moment is an opportunity to do life in Jesus' name. You know, compartmentalizing our spiritual lives is greatly damaging. Yet that's how often we think about it. You know, on Sundays, I do my spiritual thing. From 6 to 6.15 in the morning, I do my spiritual reading. From 12 to 12.30, I do some spiritual praying. In some ways, it's easier to think of our spiritual life in checklists because we can feel good at the end of our day. We can like, well, I read my Bible, well, I pray, well, I called somebody, well, I served somebody. We can even compare ourselves to someone else. We know that doesn't fit the definition of loving God or loving others. It's like trying to give God a portion of our lives. Let's say we're awake for 16 hours a day. We do some quick math. We're like, okay, God, I'll give you 10%, an hour and a half of every day. Does that mean we're generous? Maybe if we're thinking compartmentally. But maybe if you're comparing yourself to a friend that only does a 30-second prayer, man, maybe you're killing it. But what does God really want from us? He doesn't want a portion of our lives, a segment, a little strip of our lives. He wants all of our lives. He wants every moment of every day. And why? Because our whole lives are spiritual. Being spiritual is a state of being. Telling a Christian to be spiritual is like telling a fish to swim. That's where and how our theme verse comes into play for this series. In Colossians 3.17, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
This verse is hauntingly practical. Look at the all-inclusive language. Whatever and do it all. There is nothing that you do in life that does not affect your spirituality. This is not meant to be burdensome. This is meant to be a gift. This is an entirely different operating system. But this calls each of us to a higher level as we navigate the mundane aspects of life. When you do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, this means to do something in the way consistent with Jesus' character. To do it in the way Jesus would do it as if you were in your place. Maybe you remember a long time ago seeing some people wearing these WWJD bracelets. I don't know if any of you remember seeing those things. It was a bracelet meant to remind you to consider what would Jesus do in the situation. Although I didn't wear one, I would think about it at times. I would find myself in a particular situation. I'd say, I wonder what Jesus would do. And then I would think about what he would do. And I would think, hmm, I don't feel like doing that. That's too much to ask. And I would just dismiss it. <laughs> you know, if folks felt too guilty, we would just say, let's take this bracelet off and I'll put it on tomorrow. Maybe I'll just wear it on Sundays. But this isn't a bracelet. This isn't WWJD, this is DWWJD. Do what Jesus would do. Maybe it's this, E-Y-D-D-I-A-J-W-Y. Everything you do, do it as if Jesus was you. Or were you, I'm not sure which one that would be, but everything you do, do it as if Jesus was you, I'll say. This changes things. If you're going to live this out, it changes the way you read the Bible. It's no longer about reading to please God. Okay, I'll read the letter you wrote me. If you'll blah, blah, blah. No, you read it to become more like him, to see how Jesus would respond in a particular situation. I love this statement. The goal isn't to get through the Bible. It's to get the Bible through you. This changes every aspect of life, how we shop, drive, parent, work, how we're a friend or spouse, how we spend our money, everything. It changes how we see the world when we know that we need to focus on loving God and others. Instead of waking up just having this decision like, huh, do I have to put on pants today? It gives us a mission. It gives us a value set that we should pursue. I can give you a common everyday situation, how this plays out for us. Every weekend, typically I'm the grocery shopper and I'll wrangle one of my kids into it and Nathan is usually the least resistant. And so I'll say, hey Nathan, we're going to the grocery store. He'll say, do I have to? I'll say, yes. I'll say, let's get dressed. He'll run downstairs and say, do I have to wear shoes or can I wear slides? I'm like, we're going to the grocery store, wear slides. We then head out to the car. When we get into the car, we'll say, do you have your masks? Sometimes he remembers his, sometimes I don't. And so one of us typically has to go back in the house to get our mask. We say, I'll be right back. And we're off. When we get in the car, we can zone out. I can start being annoyed that traffic is actually bad on Saturday. I'll look over at him and he's just on his phone, laughing at something typically. When we get to the grocery store, it's the same routine. He grabs the cart and I'm the shopper. I zigzag through people and I look for him and he runs up and I'll drop the items in the cart. Every Sunday or Saturday, whenever we do the shopping, I'm annoyed because, well, there's tons of people there. Maybe you recognize this. And when I'm going, there's typically people looking at their phones, crossing off a list. And I realize what they're doing, they're shopping for someone else. So then I'm annoyed saying, why am I here? Why don't I have somebody else shop for me? Why am I here? I don't get it. And then as I'm going through the list, inevitably something is completely out of stock. Something that you would expect to be in stock. How are graham crackers not in stock? I'm not aware. I'll look at the shelves. I'll look up and down. I don't see him anywhere. I'll see an associate that looks tired and irritated and he can't hear me because he's got on headphones. So I'll come near him and I'll rub my hand and I'll say something to him. I'll say, hey, 
where are the graham crackers? And he'll say, what? And he doesn't understand me because I have a mask on. <laughs> so then I'll get it from him. I'll say, do you know where the graham crackers are? And he'll say, we're out of them. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I think, what a waste of time. Then I tell Nate, let's get out of here. We walk up to checkout lines. And you know what happens. There's six lines out of the 30 that are open. We get in line, I look at my list, and I realize, oh, I forgot ham, which is in the entirely other side of the grocery store. So I then have to navigate the crowd and run back. Nate and I, we check out, we get in the car, and we go. All of this is a very frustrating thing on repeat. But how does this look through a different lens? How does this Saturday or Sunday adventure, how does this look if I look things through the lens of E-Y-D-D-I-A-J-W-Y? Everything you do, do it as if Jesus were you. Some things are the same. Same thoughts about what to wear. When I get in the car with Nate, we still have the conversation. Do you have a mask? But things can change. Nate and I can have a spiritual conversation. I can look at him and say, hey, how many Bible verses did you memorize this week? Just kidding. I could have a spiritual question, which would be any question, right? I could ask him, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Who'd you talk to? Who do you miss? What was the high point of your week? What's stressing you out? Any question I ask him is spiritual because, well, life is spiritual. And then when we're at the store, I don't have to see people as obstacles to get around to fill my cart with produce. Instead, I can be a warm, loving presence. I can smile at people. How do they know I'm smiling? Because my eyes are skinny. Maybe it's also because I say something like, hey, go ahead. And they can tell I'm smiling because of my inflection. And as I pass shoppers that are all tired of navigating these same crowds, I'll notice that some of them are actually shopping for someone else. And then I can realize this is actually their third list of the day as they work hard to provide for their family or themselves, and I can get out of their way. And when I pass the senior citizen who's there, completely overwhelmed by the crowds, afraid they're going to get COVID, I can pause long enough to say, hello, how's your day going? And for that cashier, I can thank her for asking me how I'm doing and I can engage in this short conversation. Why this extra effort? Because this is all spiritual. This is doing it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Same exact things, different mindset. Thinking about them as spiritual practices. You know, sometimes God may guide you to do a bit more. A family I know, they found themselves in the hospital over Christmas. They had a sick child, and this wasn't the only time they found themselves in the hospital over a holiday. And they would interact with other children because they would stay on the children's floor. And as they were interacting with this one family, they got up to talking and they realized this other family was not going to have the kind of Christmas they normally had because this was their first season of their child in the hospital. And when they talked to them, they heard that this might be different altogether in terms of supplying things for their kids. And so the family felt like they needed to do something for them. And so they decided to purchase a Nintendo Switch for that family. Why? because it gives the kid something to do while he's getting treatment, and also could allow him to do things like Netflix. Now, any of us, we probably would have done the same thing or purchased a gift of some sort if, and if, we were willing to see that as a spiritual situation. If we were willing to get over the fact that, man, why are we stuck in the hospital? Why don't we just actually look around and see how God could use us in this situation? And then engage with another family. Instead of being stuck on themselves and inviting and engaging in other people. Well, friends, I believe we have these kind of moments every day, whether we're at Walmart or Wawa, in our living room or in a Zoom room. Every moment has the opportunity to be spiritual because the spiritual life 
is simply our life. I want to read to you the very practical spiritual exercise recorded in the book, Fully Devoted. If you don't have this book, let us know and we'd like to send you one. And there's three exercises I'd like you to do. The first thing is, is memorize Paul's words in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Over the next six weeks, I'd like you to commit to memorizing that verse. And what I'd also like you to do is set an alarm for 3.17 p.m. If you're up at 3.17 a.m., knock yourself out. Whenever you hear that alarm go off at 3.17, ask yourself, what could I do differently if Jesus was in my place? If I was going to do all this situation that I'm currently finding myself in Jesus' name, how would it change? Would it change? Another thing I hope you'll consider is joining a group. And I hope you'll consider joining one of the five discussion groups to discuss how your experience is going. And you can find that list at experiencecc.org fresh start. This is the list that it gives in the book. It says, think about what it would mean for you to live the ordinary moments of your life as if Jesus were in your place. How would you do each of the following activities in Jesus' name? Waking up, getting, uh, greeting those you see first in the morning. Wow, kids, let's do that one together. Eating, driving, working outside the home or caring for children while at home, shopping, watching TV, doing household tasks, reading the paper, going to sleep. I encourage you to try it out, to journal, and I hope you'll do that. This is going to be a great series for us as we're looking at a fresh start. And I believe a lot of it will begin on how we see spirituality. Again, this is not a list of things that we do in order to get God's attention. These are things we do because we have God's attention. He loves us and wants us to love him and other people. That's the spiritual life because it's all of life. Let's pray together, friends. Father God, I thank you so much for an opportunity to come together today to think about what it is to be spiritual. And God, when we do that, we realize that all of life is spiritual. God, you're not looking for a part of our lives. You want all of them. And so God, help us to understand what it means to surrender them to you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all that you are. We look forward to knowing you more and knowing your will for our lives. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.